0: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's heretic happy hour. Oh, man, you know what? I really, really love that theme song, and I don't think we talk about it enough, but that is one kick-ass theme song. Thank you, Barrett Johnson. And I'm Keith Giles. One of the co-hosts of the Heritage Capiar podcast, and I'm welcoming you to our episode uh, today. And uh, I'm the author of Jesus Unbound: Liberating the Word of God from the Bible, and a brand new book coming out next month called Jesus Unveiled: Forsaking Church as We Know It for Ecclesia as God Intended. Yes, it's about house church. And uh, I'm joined by oh, my shot. take a shot. <laughs> I'm joined by my co-host Matthew and Jamal. Say hi.
1: Hi friends. My name is Jamal Michael <clears throat> Jivanji and I am the author of Living for a Living most recently that came out on April 15th and I'm in awe of Keith how do you just pump out these books like it I I wrote, you know, Free to Love in 2016 and like it took me uh three years to write a second book which reads like a children's book <laughs> it's great. And, and it's like how do you just pump out these novels man i don't get it but congratulations well thank, so, you. thank you
2: yeah i don't i don't know how you write as much as you write keith but um well that that makes me matthew Distefano stefano and um, jamal i've heard good things about your book and weren't uh wasn't your book covered in our sister station on bookish recently <laughs>
1: You know, it was, and I was really blown away with that. Like they, they literally did an episode in which my book was one of the two books they discussed. I was just like blown away with that. I was so encouraged and excited and loved the discussion. Cause that's actually why I wrote it. So that it would provoke conversation and that it did. It's fantastic.
2: Yeah. That should be the goal, man. That should be the yeah. goal. Create conversations. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes.
0: Good stuff. Hey, so yeah. I probably should let everyone know, That this episode of the Heretic Happier podcast is sponsored by the Hope Center, a community resource center serving one of Alabama's poorest communities by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. Please visit their website at servealabama.org for more information and to make a generous contribution. Thank you. Yes,
1: and I am excited to announce, and it is an announcement to some people because people still don't know. I was, a, I think, on the Facebook group. We still get comments from time to time, and people are like, "What? There's a hotline?" And we oh. do. We.
2: Had- I, I think most of those are sarcastic. <laughs> funny. I, yeah, I hope so. <laughs>
0: seriously, <laughs> but, the, but the ones about there being a podcast are not. So I don't know. I just
1: I take people <laughs> for the word, you know. So I just <clears throat> when I when I see those comments, I'm just like, wow, my work is never done. So. Let me say it again, guys. We, we have a hotline and the number, by the way, it's free. You, you don't, you don't have to dial one and you don't need long distance. Cause you know, like these days the cell phones will do it and you can just dial the number. It's two, four, zero, three, four, three, seven, three, seven, nine is the hotline number. You can text it. You can leave a voicemail. You can do all those things. It's fantastic. Um, so we did, we have a couple of texts that came into the hotline. So can we keep it up? Okay, this, this is from a listener. Um, quote, I've never had a crisis of faith until now. I've been through deconstructionism, fought my intellectual battles, followed Jesus, and tried to remain true to myself. But with the, with the recent death of Rachel Held Evans, I've begun to doubt. No, I'm not mad at God because he, quote, took her, whatever that means. I'm appalled at the reaction from the evangelical community. I know evangelicals can be evil bastards, but I never realized they would feast upon the death of a wonderful woman and mother in the vulturistic way they have. So I guess my question is, what do we do now? How do we love an enemy that spits on the graves of our loved ones and gleefully floats at the thought of their eternal conscious torment? What would Rachel do? Sincerely, Colin Dorsey. Hmm. Um,
0: well, yeah, that's yeah. uh well, I got to say I'm, I agree with, first of all, yeah, completely heartbroken with the news about Rachel, but even doubly heartbroken to see very hateful reactions from people who are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, with almost no compassion for the fact that uh, someone lost their mom, someone lost their wife, um, you know, their daughter. Uh, It's just horrible, uh, response. And I, I I guess the, the only thing I would say is as hard as it is to do, we try to love people and we even love people that are hateful and love people, um, who think they're right. You know, they, they think they they have God on their side in this kind of condemning spirit that they have. But, um, I think the only way we can respond really, you know, to, to to have any kind of a difference, to make any kind of a difference. And I think to really honor the kind of a person that Rachel Evans was, um, is to respond with compassion and, and love, in the face of something like that.
2: Yeah. I think that's how she would respond. That's not how I responded when I read like uh, pulpit and pens mm-hmm. review. I don't know if you saw that or, you know, their, their, uh, whatever blog entry, uh, um, announcing her death. It was, it was yeah. awful. And, um, yeah, I did a video on Patreon. I, I, I wasn't very loving. I think Rachel would be much more loving than <laughs> I was. I was really, really pissed. But I think the important thing to remember and anyone who is um, quote unquote deconstructed is that the people in your faith tradition who may be hypocritical and unloving and clanging gongs and all that, that's not where our faith needs to be. Our faith is in God. Um, Our faith is in love and compassion and empathy and all those things. And so it's been really important for me to remove actual faith with like my tradition and where they are. Uh, pretty awful sometimes. So, I think we can become very disillusioned if we look at Christianity as the representation of what God's like.
1: Yes, for sure. And you know this. This is a really good. Uh, I'm. I'm so glad that this. Uh, this listener, Colin. You know, that you texted this. I think it's a legitimate concern. I think what you're feeling is valid and i think you're not <clears throat> alone in that i think there's a lot of people that are feeling this as a result of her death there's a lot of i think i think rachel's death has brought up a lot of things there's several mm-hmm. things it's brought up and i think it's going to lead in even to our our topic um, but specifically about the responses of evangelicals and okay i hear what you're saying and i here's what i do think it's an opportunity first of all this is actually an opportunity to um, because this is this is a trigger so whenever evangelicals typically respond in the way that, you know, we've been on the, on the side of that. So, for example, this this uh, caller is, or this listener is, is basically saying, like, man, I'm really struggling because evangelicals, like, I know, you know the, I think his words were, I know evangelicals can be evil bastards. Well, I want to kind of zero in on that statement real quick because I understand what you're saying there and I understand what that where that's coming from, how that feels. I get it. Like, I totally hear you, but I want to challenge you on that because I think that's where the, that's where the suffering is coming from is the perception. So I would, I would push back on that. I would say that evangelicals are not evil bastards Um, because I don't know your background. I don't know the callers or the listeners background, but I know I was in the, I was an evangelical. I I was very much a part of that community for a long time. And I can tell you, I was never an evil bastard. I was operating from a limited viewpoint. And you know what? Um, There are people I've seen it and I'm sure some of us could relate. Like I remember hearing recently about, there was some evangelical leader that would, you know, blame natural disasters on, on, on uh, homosexuals and Pat Robertson. Well, I don't know if it was Pat. I mean, yeah, he's one of them. Yeah. Some, yes John, John it was something but also their house was destroyed in a natural disaster not too long ago as well and that came made some headlines i can't remember yeah. who it was but there was a lot of like you just be honest like when you hear that you go yeah it kind of is what you get though you know it's kind of like that sense of like you had that coming like you blame natural disasters on 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 folks that don't believe or act like you and you think god is retributive and Now your house got like like that's like that's just irony you know I mean there's a part of us that kind of like relishes that and I'm not not saying it's healthy I'm just saying that that we should be able to relate to that so Rachel, you have to understand Rachel Held Evans was challenging the perceptions and even though I'm, I'm not excusing the behavior I'm just saying that when you're in that camp whenever somebody is just the thorn in your side so to speak causing you to question all these things that whenever something looks like it's negative that we can paint as God's judgment, then, you know, there's that, it helps them feel better. Now that's not healthy. It's obviously very hurtful, not excusing it. But I think the opportunity is to come back to this and say, how is this actually a mirror of me? Because that's really where we start to get honest and real. And that's not, not to mean that we are evil bastards. I'm not saying that, but evangelicals, like we should be able to relate of all people. We should be able to relate to that mindset with understanding. First of all, we were never evil bastards as evangelicals. We were sincere people that were believing that we believe these fear-based ideas about how the divine works and how justice and works and all these kinds of things. And so they are literally, and some of them are very concerned mm-hmm. that, my gosh, look what happened to her. And we want to like rescue people from this judgment that God is bringing. That's, that comes from a sincere place. I've, it's very hurtful. It's misguided but we we should we need to understand like we've been there and sometimes we still operate in that so like what you're feeling for the people that are coming against Rachel Held Evans that same feeling of damn those evil bastards <laughs> you know like that that same feeling that you feel is actually what you're noticing in them right. it's actually in us so it's an opportunity to look at us and say you know this is like this is not something that we we can recognize it. We say, you know, you know, I, I can understand it. So then it's an opportunity to for, actually to come to a place of compassion for ourselves, for believing those things, for feeling those ways and for forgiving ourselves. Cause if we can forgive ourselves for being like that, we can therefore extend that forgiveness to anybody else that's doing yeah. that because the ability to extend forgiveness first comes from being able to tolerate mm-hmm. and forgive that in ourselves.
0: Right. I, so good. And you know, that the, I was, you were saying that Jamal, my thing was, uh, I think, um, we only get, well, I think we can only consi- consistently react this way to, to the way evangelicals have responded to Rachel Held Evans dying. Uh, if, let's say, six months to a year or so from now, when we find out that John Piper has died, or that uh, Pat Robertson has died, or Jerry Falwell Jr., or maybe, you know, pick someone that we think is particularly, like it. right now, they're alive, and we find it very difficult to tolerate them. So when they die, how are we going to respond? Are we going to show grace? Are we going to are we going to be sensitive the way that we wish that the, uh, these people were being sensitive towards Rachel? Like that really is, um, and and you're a great point Jamal. That's very true.
2: Yeah, good stuff. Don't we have a uh, we got one more one more text? We yeah. do. We have
1: another one, and, and this one um, is actually we had a um, a promo. Uh, it was actually a, like a, a Zondervan has actually come out with a new Bible, and so we had a <clears throat> a contest in which people would send in uh through either voicemail or text like some fun, funny bible stories <laughs> so um we actually have a winner there's a win, the winning text all there, right John, and, and, yeah so this is um I'll, I'll read it quote hey guys this is spencer holland from atlanta georgia here's a weird bible story from genesis 24 two through nine quote and abraham said to his servant put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear to the Lord, unquote. Skip ahead to verse nine, quote. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter, And then unquote. And then he says, I think the next time I buy a car, that's how I'm going to seal the deal with a salesperson.
2: <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't recommend that um, because – Uh, according to some mid rash, the thigh isn't really the thigh. It's, uh, it's really the, the circumcised, uh, Hey, I'm not saying it's right. It's just according to some mid rash, it's not really the thigh because you want to put your, when you, when you make an oath, you want to put your, uh, your hand on, Mm -hmm. on a sacred item. And that was the first, what, uh, the first command for Abraham, and that was what he chose.
0: Well, I, you know, mm. I choose to believe That's... that is exactly what that means. And I'm going to go to my Bible right now and change the word thigh to penis. So,
2: mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So be careful to do that with the salesperson. I, I don't recommend that. Right.
0: Well, uh, as Duval mentioned, uh, we are very happy that Zondervan has decided to provide us with some brand new, new revised standard version, uh, comfort print Bibles to give away. They're very nice Bibles. And um, so if you want to see the full lineup of them, you can go uh, to see their, their new Comfort Print, new or uh version Bibles. You can go to nrsv.net. And uh, we're going to keep giving away one free Bible for the next nine episodes. So here's how you can win your Bible. Uh, you can either call the hotline with a 60 seconds, it's got to be 60 seconds or less, hilarious Bible story, or share your favorite episode on Facebook or Twitter and tag either Matt, Jamal, or myself. And you'll be entered to win. Yeah.
2: There we go. Wow. wow. So like um, like Jamal mentioned, uh, our topic – or no, we we, uh, we have a guest first before our topic. Don't, don't leave up, man. This, the I, I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving. No, he's been waiting for a while. But, but what he has to say has to do with the topic, and it's a good one. So that brings us to the Heretic of the Week. It's
3: the Heretic of the Week. Hello. I'm Thomas J. Ord, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Thomas.
2: <laughs> hey, Thomas. Thank you so much for coming uh, onto the show. Uh, this is Matthew here. Um, our, our first question we like to ask people when they first jump on with us is: Why do some people consider you a heretic? Of course, assuming that some some may do uh, may do that.
3: Believe me, I've been called a heretic many, many times, and for many different reasons. So, let me count the ways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's, let's start with uh, one of my views is that uh, God is a God of love, and God's love is inherently uncontrolling, which means that God is by necessity not in control. Another thing, I, reason I've been called a heretic is I think God knows everything that can be known, but the future is not yet knowable, so God does not know with certainty the future. I've been called a heretic because I think uh, God creates through an evolutionary process and uh, the universe is billions of years old. (gasps) Yeah, I know. That's not (laughs) too strange. Uh, I've been called a heretic uh, because I think uh, God is present and active in religious traditions outside of my own, which is a Christian tradition. I've been called a heretic because I think there are errors in scripture. I've been called a heretic. Well, I could just keep going and going. That's probably enough (laughs) for us to talk right there.
2: Yeah, we probably have enough uh, just to chew on, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're my kind of guy. That's right. Uh, Well, one that stuck out to me is God's not in control. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, You
3: know, it's something I kind of started thinking about when actually I was probably in high school and Like a lot of people who believe in free will, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe God chooses not to control things all the time and allows people to use the free will that they've been given. And that might help to explain, you know, some of the evils in the world. But I never quite went so far as to say that God can't control us. I I kind of thought God chooses not to be controlling. Well, at least most of the time, you know, maybe God controls to do a miracle here or there or uh, that kind of thing. But uh, generally speaking, I thought maybe God was not controlling free will creatures. But I began to realize that that in and of itself doesn't give us a good explanation for why a loving God would not prevent the genuine evils of the world. And those evils come not only when people use their free will wrongly, but also, you know, because of cancer or, uh, you know, birth defects or mm-hmm. hurricanes, etc. cetera. And um, just saying God allows us to use our freedom gives the impression that God could control us if God wanted to. And I finally came to the place in my life where I thought it made a lot more sense overall to say that God simply can't control creatures.
0: And when you say he can't, you mean he can't because it's not who he is, right? It's part of his nature.
3: That's right. So that's sort of the position I eventually came to. And it's kind of a sophisticated one, but it basically says this, um, God's love is necessarily self giving and others empowering, not only to complex creatures like humans, but even to the smallest entities of reality. I don't think the smallest entities have free will. They have some sort of agency or spontaneity, but Mm -hmm. the more complex a creature becomes, the more uh, possibilities for freedom they have. And because this love comes first in God's nature, God simply can't not love. God must love. God loves necessarily. And that means that God is necessarily
1: uncontrolling. I love that. I love that. Um, well, Thomas, it's, it's, this is Jamal here. It's great to have you on the podcast. And I uh, had a question for you. Um, just if you could, just maybe give us a little bit of your background uh, spiritually. Like, what was your. What was your spiritual background like um, and, and how did this process of deconstructing, you know, maybe more traditional Christian beliefs, um, how did that begin for you?
3: Yeah, I feel like I was fairly fortunate in terms of uh, my upbringing. Both my parents were Christians and had a fairly positive witness. Uh, I grew up in a little Church of the Nazarene congregation in a place called Othello, Washington. And uh, the church community was a central part of my life. Um, I made commitments to be a Christian often when I was a kid. And uh, sort of the major one was when I was in high school. I was a person who was really um, passionate about my faith. Uh, by the time I got in college, I was doing a lot of door-to-door witnessing. I was a part of Campus mm-hmm. Crusade for Christ. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people who annoys you on planes, you know, by bringing <laughs> up Jesus. Um, <laughs> But then, near the end of my college career, I had a crisis of faith. Um, Reading some books by atheists and agnostics and people of other religious traditions, the reasons I had for believing in God no longer make sense, and so um, I, out of intellectual honesty, chose atheism. Um, I was an atheist for very long, but. I eventually came to believe that it's more plausible than not that God exists. And really at the center of that were my searches for uh, meaning and purpose and uh, the issues of love. I had this deep, deep intuition that love mattered most and I should live a life of love. And in order to make the most sense out of that, it made sense to me that there was a being whom we call God. Who is the source of love?
1: So good. That's 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 beautiful. Yeah,
3: we
2: we must be kindred spirits because our 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 story sounds so similar. Where it's like, if you're, yeah, if you're, I I was just to the place during my a part of my journey where, yeah, it's that intellectual honesty where it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to conclude atheism, but if I'm honest, that just seems at least at the time where I was, that seems the most plausible until you have this intuition that there's something more than that. And, and, and maybe it's not the theology I had, but, but realizing coming to a place where, where you realize your theology is not God, so it's then intellectually honest to chuck out God because you had shitty theology.
3: Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, some people become atheists because they're mad at religion. Maybe they've been hurt in some way. And and I can get, I understand that, but that wasn't me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people come back to religion because maybe they're scared. Uh, That wasn't me either. Uh, I was just trying to make the most sense out of my life and life in general. And to me then and to me now, Something about a God hypothesis makes the most sense. And it's more than just sort of a hypothesis. I mean, that's what I've given my whole life to.
1: Well, well, Thomas, I, a question I have for you um, is – you know, it's just I know you mentioned that you began to um, to draw from other sources other than your own Christian tradition. Um, if I could ask you, what what were some of like what are some of the other faith traditions that you've been able to you feel like have really benefited you on your journey on your in, in discovering uh, the nature of the divine? Like what what has really jumped at you from sources or uh, faith traditions outside of Christianity?
3: Well, I would probably point to two. One is a faith tradition and one is not. Um, The Buddhist tradition has been helpful for me to think about uh, a life of compassion, a life of uh, intentional, um, um, purposeful thinking and living. The idea that we're interconnected not only to others, but to all of reality. Those kinds of things made a whole lot of sense to me. And, and I found some resonance within some portions of the Christian yes. tradition. So it wasn't like, you know, an absolutely way out there kind of a view. But mm-hmm. uh, Buddhism helped me in that way. But, but really, it wasn't another faith tradition as much as realizing, or maybe better to say it, believing that God was present and active in culture general popular culture, as well as uh, cultures around the world, and and the notion that I could listen to my favorite rock and roll station and find tidbits and uh, nuggets of truth that weren't explicitly, you know, mentioning Jesus or coming from a Christian um, faith tradition, but uh, told me truths about reality, I started thinking to myself, I can learn uh, to be wise, loving, and good from sources other than the
2: Bible. Oh, I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. Boy, that would really scare some people, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it does initially
3: until, you know, you start working with folks a while. And, and I think eventually most people, not everybody, most people come to, come around to realizing that, um, that there is truth beyond what's on the page. Usually what they say is, well, whatever truth you find elsewhere you'll find in the Bible until you start getting down to the nitty gritty and then all of a sudden they have to have a much more expansive view of the Christian faith, sure,
1: sure, yeah, and I think you touched on this a little bit before, but um when when you said that you came to understand that that God must be the source of of love and that love is really the the primary reason for existence. Um, how would you? How do you? How do you understand love? Like if somebody came to you and said, "Well, Thomas, what is love? How do you understand love? What, what would you say to that?"
3: Well, I actually wrote a book on the subject, so I've I have thought about it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to give you the technical definition, I define love as acting intentionally in response to God and others to promote overall well-being. Mm. So I think the purpose of love is this idea of promoting well-being. And I include overall to not only uh, to talk about my own personal well-being, but also the well-being of strangers and aliens, uh, even enemies, and to bring in the aspects of justice. I think justice acts, asks the questions about the common good. But there's also a strongly relational component to my definition. That's why I say in response to God, and others. It's not just God, but it's also others in my world, both human and non-human. And then that love is a real intentional decision. I think there's a, an element of freedom in it myself, but it's not accidental. If someone does something good accidentally, I don't say, well, that was a real loving act. I think they have to have some sort of purposeful decision, even if it's just you know, brief or uh, fairly unreflective. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be some
1: purposiveness to be uh, called an act of love. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, Tom, Thomas, I wanted to ask you um, in your journey of you know deconstructing you know evangelical uh, you know traditional thinking in, to where you are now. How has your view on prayer evolved or changed? Yeah, you know, I'm always evolving when it comes to prayer. But
3: um, one of the things that helps me a lot. Um, Is thinking that God does not have the future already settled. You know, some people will hear me say that God knows everything that can be known, but the future can't be known by God because it's not yet been determined or not yet been settled. And they think that actually undermines prayer because, um, you know, somehow God doesn't know what's going to happen. But I actually think it makes prayer much more valuable because. If the future hasn't been set yet, then what I do, including my prayers, might actually make a difference in how God acts, what the future becomes. And so there's more motivation for me, actually, to pray, believing that the future is open and that God hasn't somehow predetermined it. Others are worried that uh, prayer doesn't make any sense if it's true, as I suggest, that God can't control others. But when you start to think about what our prayers, uh, what we expect out of prayers, I think we end up believing that it's not that big a deal after all. I mean, think about, suppose you've got an uncle who's not a Christian and you you really think that his life would be better had he, would he start living a, a life of love like Jesus does. You're not probably going to pray, God Force Uncle Joe to become a Christian mm-hmm. because you're going to think that uh, you know God's not going to force people to live a life of love. That's something they must choose to do. God's going to call them to it, empower them, lure them, persuade them, etc. But not force them. And if we take that general principle and apply it to the rest of life, we begin to see that if God's way is truly the way of love, then our prayers are ways. Uh, I mean our prayers open up new opportunities or possibilities for God to act that may not have been there.
0: Had we that's,
1: not prayed? That's, that's profound. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I had a, Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you something along those lines of, uh, concerning prayer. Um, we had um, Mark Harris on, uh, on the program uh, as a heretic of the week. And he wrote a book called divine echoes, which I think is very, kind of treading some of the same path that you are treading um in your book um and so here's my question what about and, and and maybe i'm just not understanding you um because i'm tracking with everything you're saying i am in agreement with everything you're saying uh, but personally i what i bump up against is okay if god isn't controlling and if i pray god isn't going to make stuff happen then what do I do with miracles? Like Because in my own personal life, I have seen some pretty amazing physical healings. I've experienced some pretty amazing um, miracles in my life uh, personally, as well as you know people close to me. And so I just don't know what do I do with that. If God really doesn't, um, it's not that he sometimes does uh, or sometimes chooses and sometimes doesn't choose. What you're saying is he just doesn't and really can't. What, what would you do? How do you, how do you respond to the, the question of miracles?
3: Yeah, I'll give you a quick answer. But before I give you that answer, um, in one of my uh, most recent books called The Uncontrolling Love of God, I finished the book out with a whole chapter devoted to that very question, the question of miracles. And so what I'm going to say here is a really brief synopsis. If you want more details, I really recommend that chapter. Um, I do believe in miracles. But I believe miracles occur as creation cooperates with God or the conditions of creation are appropriate for the kind of uh, activities that uh, God wants to do. So um, that means that every miracle that we've seen in the world had to involve some kind of cooperation, whether that be our own you know, free will choices or the entities of our bodies or other aspects of creation. Or, the conditions had to be right. You know, if I don't really think that the smallest entities of reality have free will, but they have some sort of uh, you know indeterminacy, then it can be the case that there are certain conditions that are appropriate for the kind of uh, miracles that we see happen in the world. This also helps explain why there are far more healing miracles than there are. You know, mountains moving or something like that. Um, the more agency we have, the more agency involved in the entities of one's body or the organisms and the people, the higher possibilities of miracles occurring. But the up, upside, or one of the many upsides to this view, is it overcomes what I call the problem of selective miracles. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my prayer for healing success rate really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my too. I mean, <laughs> that's the next question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when when someone gets healed, you ask 10, 10 other people want to know, "Well, why weren't I healed?" Yeah. And um, the the nice thing about my explanation is it says that uh the reason people aren't healed aren't because they didn't have enough faith, or at least it's very unlikely that's the case. It's often the case that one's body is not cooperating, or the entities or organisms or agents in one's body aren't cooperating, or the conditions aren't Uh, right for that kind of healing. And therefore we can get God off the culpability hook because God's always doing the utmost possible in every situation to heal to the greatest extent possible. But sometimes there's not cooperation
1: on whatever level of existence. Yeah. I, I really, I really love what you're saying there. I, um, I recently heard, um, a chiropractor talking about this very thing and and basically, uh, yeah, there was a, um, there was a person who had lost their hearing uh, almost like it had been with 20 years since they had had hearing and um, it's just kind of randomly s- stumbled, you know, into, chiro- into a chiropractor and, and had a, had an alignment. And when there was, when that alignment was done, his hearing came back and, cool. um, and, and there's so many stories of like, just, because I feel like sometimes, you know, based on a lot of theology, I think a lot of Christian theology is human beings are inherently bad. They have a problem. And so disease and sickness and dysfunction tends to be, and this isn't conscious, but it's almost like this idea that that's actually normal. And so healing would be some supernatural or abnormal thing. but. I, my understanding of that in reality is like well actually healing is quite normal it's it's what's what's abnormal is the dysfunction or the breakdown so it's uh bringing things back into alignment so it's not like okay God's not healing me it's like okay well there's there's a deeper work that's going on there's a there's a need for alignment so that the normal flow can can take its proper place you know hearing is normal you know like it was something in this one particular individual, it was the getting out of alignment that caused hearing loss. So that was abnormal. So I I, I really feel like what you're saying is um, very consistent with that. It's it's really fascinating to think about it like that. Um, but I wanted to ask. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you. Um, I wanted to ask you about specifically about this, um, like what you hope uh, your re- you know folks who read your work and what you hope. Uh, to get across to to the folks who are impacted by your your ministry and your work, and and what are you excited about moving forward? If that makes sense.
3: Yeah, well, I have lots of purposes. I mean, there's certain general ones. I mean, I want folks to uh, love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbors themselves. But oftentimes, uh, my specific uh, actions to help in that are aimed at helping people overcome intellectual obstacles in seeing that happen. And so, you know, they they want to believe, they want to do good, they want to understand, but there are certain ways of thinking that block them from having the uh, kind of intellectual honesty that we talked about earlier. And so a lot of my writing and my speaking uh, aims at trying to overcome those obstacles so that people can think more clearly and consistently, think biblically, think in the ways of love. And uh, that takes lots of forms. Uh, I mentioned I do a lot of speaking uh, and writing. The uh, current book I'm writing um, presents what I think are the five main beliefs we need to uh, understand to make sense of evil in the world. Uh, In fact, I'll even go so far as to say, solve the problem of evil. Oh, hey now. and Yeah, I know. (laughs) None of this, uh, you know, I'm just going to give a defense for why you can be a Christian and there be evil in the world. I actually want to give a solution to it. Mm. And uh, one of the ideas in the book is what we've been talking about, that maybe God can't stop evil single-handedly. But there are other ideas as well. And so I'm about, uh, oh, 80% done with that book.
2: Nice. That's Awesome. And do you, have a, do you have a website or do you, can people follow you on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, yeah.
3: I've, you know, I'm on Twitter, at Thomas J. Ord. Uh, Facebook, I've got a couple accounts. Um, my website is, uh, you know, thomasjord.com. I think probably one of the, the ways that people enjoy following me most is uh, if you go on my website at thomasjord.com, There's a link for a newsletter, and I usually send something a couple of times a month that has uh, some of my latest ideas and links to, well, I'll probably link this particular video or uh, audio when it it comes up. So if folks want to sign up for my newsletter, that's a great way to keep in contact with things that I'm doing and thinking.
2: Yeah, very good. Very good.
0: Wow. Well, this has been awesome, Thomas. We're we're so blessed, so glad that you uh, made the time to come and join us uh, and to talk to us about this incredible topic. It's really fascinating, and um, yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I just want to thank you so much for being in the, a part of the show.
3: Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me to have the conversation with you.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. We'll uh, let's do it again sometime. Wow, so I think it's I think it's really great that Tom is writing this brand new book called God Can. I can't wait for him to finish it, and uh, maybe then, you know, we can all.
2: Yeah, when does that when does that come out?
0: I think, you know, like three months, uh, three, three or four months ago, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we're such amateurs. <laughs> Sorry, Tom, but actually, it was the per- it was by the way, it was a great interview, and Tom, what you had to say was really great, and it is actually I'm kind of glad in some ways that we did. Uh, hold on to it because it's part of our this God series that we're doing right now, which I'm very excited about. And um, and I think a lot of what Tom talked about um, and things that he talks about in his book uh, as well really dovetail perfectly into our topic, which is about suffering. Why does God allow suffering? Does God always heal, um, or why doesn't He always heal? That kind of a thing. So, so uh, yeah, guys, how do we want to? How do we want to get started here?
1: Well, <clears throat> this is a, this is a heavy topic.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, I think, uh, David Bentley Hart, who I, who's probably going to be our coming up here, one of our next heretics of the week, you know, David Bentley Hart, who I really respect, you know, he's probably one of the, I think one of the smartest living Bible scholars around. And, you know, he has said that it's probably the, it is the hardest question for Christians to answer. Even people that have spent, you know, a lot of time studying philosophy and apologetics and, and the Bible. I mean, the, this is the biggest question, guys. This is like, yeah. if God is loving, yeah. if God is loving, how can He allow suffering? If God is all powerful, how can He let people suffer? And um, so, does it mean that if He, if suffering exists, is it because God isn't loving, or is it because He's not all powerful, or what's going on?
2: Yeah. I mean, he said, I've, I've heard him say that, uh, essentially that any atheist worth their weight, this would be their first, this would be their basically only argument. Right. This is the argument against, uh, against God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and so, most yeah. of the
1: atheists, I think most of the atheist arguments against God based on this question are, in my understanding are pretty valid. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I actually don't think they're wrong in a lot of the things they say because, you know, this is one of those topics that it it, it exposes. Um, I feel like um, a layer of things. So, just like when people talk about salvation, you know, people are well, what you know, salvation. And a lot of times, before you can even have a real conversation about salvation, you have to unpack the 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 lens in which people are seeing that understanding through. So, a lot of times when people talk about salvation, they're talking about heaven and hell, and and like God sending some people to heaven and some people to hell. And that's salvation means you don't go to hell. And that's actually not what the word means at all. And that's not even how it's used. And so like, you have to like unpack it. So I feel like healing is the same way. So like when we talk about healing, we have this picture of God in the sky pulling strings because he's all powerful and it's always a, he as a man in the sky and he's pulling strings to, to do something that nobody else can do. And that's what we mean by healing. And I just don't, that's Not my understanding of healing anymore. It used to be, I mean, it used to be that you know, we're this benevolent god somewhere just reaches down and does something. I'm not that's not entirely accurate, in my opinion. So, I think that the conversation that?
2: that's that's deism, right? Isn't I mean, no, essentially. I don't
1: know, I don't know because my understanding of deism is that deism is this removed deity that uh, really kind of okay. just lets create, like created the universe and then set it in order and let it set it on its motion. And then he just sits back and watches and it's mm-hmm. not involved. And I'm not advocating for that at all. <clears throat> sure. um, I, I think the divine is very much involved in every moment. I just don't think that there's a God that exists that's in the sky somewhere that pulls some levers to, to heal people. I don't think that's how it works. Well, that's, that's much, yeah. I think that's really yeah.
0: what the conversation kind of ends up getting down to. I don't know if you guys have read, um, Tom's book, God can't or not. I I did read it, and Wendy and I read it, uh, and and we've had conversations about it. And frankly, I have uh, personally held back from blogging about my thoughts or even doing any videos about my my thoughts about the book, mostly because I do love Tom. He lives here locally in Boise, and he and I have had lunch together a couple of times, and and I love the guy. I think he's awesome. So I don't want to. I've really not wanted to sort of come out publicly and say something negative about it, him or the book and certainly I would never say anything negative about him but um but i personally i struggle uh with some of the ideas in the book and i and by that i mean i mean i love everything he just said on the interview and i i love the idea i i think if i think if the if the arguments are either um well that the typical arguments that we've always heard you know that you don't have enough faith. That's why you weren't healed, or um, you must have sin in your life. This is why God didn't heal you, or, or even worse, I think is, well, God, God works in mysterious ways. You know, He has some purpose, some perfect, some God has. Um, He let this person suffer because He wants to work some kind of character in them. He wants to. Uh, he has some grander plan down the road that you don't know about. He's going to use your cancer, to, or your, you know, your your mother's death or your father's death or whatever your child's suffering down the road, he's got some great plan and he's going to use that suffering. So, you know, you just got to play along. Like, I don't think any of those, I'm not happy with really any of those, uh, sort of responses. And I I think if if my choices are those kinds of responses or the kind of response that we're hearing from Tom, uh, and from Mark Karras, who's also has a great book from choir on the same kind of topic. Um, I, I, I guess I would lean more towards Tom's response, which is that that quite often god if god, if God is a God of love that love isn't controlling and in this, in this sense god is because God is love um God does not intervene in in you know the everyday human affairs for good or bad but um but I'll be honest, I struggle with that because and and this is really my the bottom line for me um I think it's i think Tom's book is wonderful if you are someone who didn't receive healing or if you have if you have someone in your family who wasn't uh you know wasn't miraculously healed and i think his book can give you a lot of hope to understand why and and there, and i know i know that actually he's gotten a lot of testimonies from people who have read the book and that has been exactly their response thank you so much because you've helped me understand that um we went through this not because god doesn't care but because god is love and because he's love he's non-controlling however uh, my struggle is I have seen miracles. I have seen miraculous answers to prayer in my own life and in my family, immediate family members um that I would say I guess for me, I say, well, you say God can't, but for me, there have been times when god it sure looks like God can and um and so for me, I'm right back to to where I was in the beginning, which is to say why does God heal sometimes? And why does God? Well, yeah. other times?
2: that's, yeah. And then
0: my, my answer is, my answer is, I don't know. It's still <laughs> a mystery. I don't know that there is a formula. I don't know that there really is an answer. So,
2: Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that because, well, I, I mean, it's, I think on this issue, it's, it's important for, unless you think you have everything figured out, but don't pretend like you do, because this is one of those ones where I'm pretty agnostic as well. Like, I'm still not sure how prayer works. I'm not yeah. sure how God moves in that way, like I've certainly witnessed things that I can't experientially that I can't um, perhaps explain in some sort of causal and effect way or some scientific way right but on on the other hand, I'm not sure I would be willing to maybe call those miracles or or to say, I guess my approach to this may be more that God can do certain things, maybe not that God can't, like Tom would say, but that God has chosen to work through the natural world in a way and not be a Deus ex machina, not swoop in and like save the day sometimes. I think that's what Jamal was explaining earlier. Like, um, you know, I think in Greek plays, they would co- like the God would come in on a machine yeah. or something and like do a couple things and fix something here and then fly off back to the sky. Um, I certainly don't think God's doing that, but perhaps God, <sighs> I don't think of God as a being in any way. I, I, and, and I think things that happen that we might call miracles, um, uh, perhaps human beings have more power than we think. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> I got rung up. Um, but no, no, I, yeah, because, makes well, because this is things.
0: the thing too. And uh. I think this is for me where it falls under the heading of mystery. I think, like, I think let's just take all the qualifiers off and say sometimes things happen we can't explain and we don't know the causes of those things. Maybe the cause of that thing was an answer to my prayer. Maybe the cause of that thing was a placebo effect. Maybe the cause of that thing was some unknown, ineffable or ineffable uh, ability or power or, or force you know, within people, within nature, within a combination of things. And again, it boils down to, we just don't know.
2: Well, I mean, look at how little we know about the universe. We just found this black hole. I mean, psychology is only like a hundred and some odd year discipline. Like we know very little about how things really work. Right. And so maybe there is a lot of things we haven't figured out yet and that we just, I don't know, maybe it's still a little bit superstitious to be like, oh, it's just a miracle. And it's like, well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe we just maybe we, we don't just, know, we don't we know.
1: Our shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have I have a couple thoughts. First of all, <clears throat> I think what Matt something you said that maybe um, God you don't perceive God as a being. I think that's a pretty big statement. So people, because w- we're taught, <laughs> you know, our our perception of God is as a being up there somewhere. And this is, this is theism. This is classic theism is that God is a being, but I, I would have, there's this uh, author who uh, uh, just benefited from a lot of his work um, by the name of Andre Rabe. Rabbe. Rabbe. Uh, and Andre Rabe he, he has a statement he likes to make. And I think it's such a, f- f- it's a paradigm shifting statement about God that God is not a being among other beings, but is the ground and source of all being that is a fundamental shift in perception of God. So God is not a being among other beings, which is the way we've been taught to perceive him, but God is the ground and source of all being itself, which comes back down to my understanding is this is the same being that was revealed to Moses, the uh, the is-ness, I am being itself. So consciousness, being. So if we understand that, then that takes God out of the guy in the sky pulling the strings kind of a thing. So I think that's an important, a shift in this conversation. That's important to just recognize. The second thing that I think is really important is to to understand that a lot of what it's called miracles, it, all we're saying is like, Hey, that doesn't usually happen. That doesn't, that seems to be a little bit deviating from the pattern. So for example, and even Albert Einstein, even if you take it out of the religious conversation, the scientific community is having the same conversation. Really, it's literally the same conversation. Albert Einstein believed that there were laws of the universe and they were fixed that they don't change. These are, these are f- immovable fixed laws. And that was his perception of the universe. And then there was a guy, I think his name was Niels Borg or whatever. He comes in and he's really kind of the father of, uh, of quantum quantum science. And this was at the tail end of, a, of Albert Einstein's life. And he comes up, he has given this talk and he, he's the one that proposed this idea that the laws of the universe are not fixed actually. Their their patterns they typically work this way but they're they're bendable and movable and basically and then he introduced this idea that consciousness and intention can actually alter the laws and this is what quantum science has actually demonstrated through the years is that intentionality um, can actually alter the fixed what's perceived as the fixed laws of the universe so they're really actually not fixed everything is in flux and in motion so a miracle tends to be like oh that, that that's supernatural that means as it goes above and beyond the natural i think it's what we were referring to that's important to note so you know um the third thing is is i really would like i mean especially coming from a christian background is that we read in the bible that jesus did all these miracles but he didn't actually heal anybody if you'll notice, there's really only one person they think that you could make the case, and I use the worst word lightly. "Quote in quotes," biblically. So when we think of biblically, there's really only one person that Jesus ever healed, and I would say that would be Lazarus because he was totally dead. Now, that, if you believe that story actually happened and it's not a metaphor for something else, then that's okay. Then if you actually believe that happened, then that would be a true example of healing. But other than that, Jesus didn't heal anybody else. Exception. And, and right. the reason I say that oh, <laughs> is because every time Jesus, Jesus performed a miracle, he was very clear. This, and this gets, again, this has been abused by our you know, more charismatic friends that have taken this in a way to shame people. And I'm not meaning it in this way, but it, he did make the statement. He did mean something by this. He would always say to people when they would, would be healed, he would say, your faith made you well. And he would always point back to that. Doesn't mean the people that don't get made well don't have faith, and that's not what I'm saying at all. But he what Jesus would do is he would aid the person. He there's something inside of them, and it usually was connected to what they wanted, their desire. He would help them understand what they wanted. He would pull it to the surface. Then they would experience the the uh change in the natural laws. It would be, it would, it would be the the thing that would seem to be fixed was no longer fixed. It was it it meant supernatural occurrences happened. And then he said, Oh, by the way, you did that. It was your faith. Because they wanted to praise him many times. They they thanked him. They started to praise him. They said, You this man, he would say, your faith made you well. So we can't miss that point. So I honestly believe that it's people that heal. What we're looking to the man in the sky to do, we actually are the ones that do it. Now I believe the work of God is to actually empower us to do that through our own through through reaching into internally to do that um and i think it's what jesus did but i think there's a lot of folklore out there that thinks that god did these things yeah god does a bit, but where is god he's incarnate in all of us in the create in the creation so god's not separate from the creation so god i believe god's working all the time but it's not we're waiting for god to do something that mm-hmm. god's like well but that's you <laughs> it's not it's like Mother Teresa saying she prayed, she saw all the suffering in India. She was like, "God, what are you yeah. going to do?" And he's like, "What are you going to do?" It's the same question. It's a mirror. Everything's a mirror. Yeah. Whatever you're putting on God, it comes right back to you. Like you. So the-
0: I, I just wanted to, to reflect back on a couple of things that you said. Like I personally, uh, like I don't agree with what you're saying, Jamal, in the sense that I, I don't think. And I think if anyone wants to check, go through the Gospels and look at the healings that Jesus did. He does. It's not. It's not every single time he heals that he says. Hey, it wasn't me. Your faith has healed you. He does say it a couple of times, maybe two or three times. He does say to someone, "Your faith has made you well," um, but not every time. And there's also situations where he casts out demons, where um, only he could do that. He had to cast them out. They didn't come out willingly, and the, certainly the person wasn't uh, even sometimes even able to speak or communicate with with Jesus about what was going on. And then again, but that's a whole other episode about demons and things like that. Um, oh yeah. But I, but I want to say if I could pull it back around a little bit, um, I want to go back to what we were saying about God, not, not being like, you know, Matt, you said you didn't believe God was a being. And then um, we were talking a little bit about, and I think, I think the way Andre Robbie describes it in what Jamal's quote, uh, it, it feels like that's more about saying, uh, and this would be nothing new by the way, for people listening to the podcast, but I just want to clarify that, that what we're talking about in that, in that kind of an idea would be panentheism, right? This is the idea that God is sort of in everyone, everything,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's but, not pantheism uh, in the sense, but it, it, it's been defined as panentheism. This is what Richard Rohr. Um, this is again, this is nothing new. I mean, the folks have been saying this. This is more sure. Franciscan. This is guys what Richard Rohr talks about. And but I think know, the- there, I
0: think right. there, I think there are nuances of that like, concept because, like, I don't know for sure. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, and you guys probably know Richard Rohr much better than I do, but. I think the the way Richard Rohr describes it isn't quite as far as maybe Andre Rabe takes it. But um but at any rate, like for example, I feel I do feel like so. When I hear hear you guys say that you don't think God is a being, like, I guess maybe I'm still back in this other mindset. I still I do think of God as being a being. Like I can talk to God, I can address God. But at the same time, I do believe that God is in me and that I that that I am the incarnation of Christ. Uh Today, in the world today, along with, you know, uh, the whole idea of God being in everyone or Christ being, we're all in Christ, Christ is in us. Like, so, but I don't think those are necessarily, those things don't cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's either that God is in everyone or that God is a being who is a separate sort of entity and consciousness that we can communicate with and, and tap into and, and all that. And so, uh, I think there's, for me, there's sort of both.
2: I've got a, um. I got a great quote from David Bentley Hart. Oh, go for it. One of our one of our future guests. It's from uh, the experience of God being consciousness bliss, and he um he takes that's his like a uh, sort of loose translation of the Hindu concept of uh, Sat Chit Ananda. That's the definition of um, God. Watch your mouth,
0: buddy. Watch your mouth.
2: <laughs> I, I, am I going to get rung up for that one? Um,
0: <laughs> so, say it again.
2: S- Sat Chit Ananda. There you go. Thanks, Ralph. You're on your game. You're on your game today, my friend. So here's, here's David Bentley Hart's quote, uh, whether or not the question of God can be answered satisfactor- satisfactorily, however, or even formulated satisfactorily, these reflections should at least make it clear once again that it is entirely different in kind from any merely local or psychological or cultic question regarding, quote, gods or, quote, a god. The gods are unfolded within nature and enter human thought as the most exalted expressions of its power. They emerge from the magnificent energy of the physical order. God, however, and that's capital G, is first glimpsed within nature's still greater powerlessness. It's transitoriousness and, transitoriness and contingency and explanatory power. He is known or imagined or hoped for as that reality that lies beyond the awful shadow of potential nothingness, nothingness that falls across all finite beings, the gods included. And then he goes on and he ends with this. The gods could not exist apart from nature. Nature could not exist apart from God. Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of it's like um, it's not a being, but it's beingness as such. Yes. The uh, the re- the reason that beings exist in the first place, why there's why there's something rather than nothing, you know. Um, so, so, so
0: I can I ask the question then under that, uh, just to make sure I'm understanding then, like. It is then God someone, something that you could have a conversation with, have a, have a connection with in the sense of like with another human being or with another consciousness? Can you interact with God as a, again, I would say as another being? Well,
2: I would, yeah, I would say, no, I would say, but being isn't the only, uh, it's one of the other um, concepts of God or, or transcendentals of God would be consciousness. So right. we don't we don't have our own consciousnesses, um, we're, we're all tapped into the one consciousness, and it's the subjective <laughs> conduit of this one consciousness. So for me, it goes back, you know, going back to suffering. I don't. I'm not sure God can do anything um, in terms of like Excellent. that's two. That's two for one episode. Damn. Well, yeah. I, I, you didn't let me finish the thought, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, God cannot, uh, I'm just, Jamal, I'm going to let you go. I'm just going to shut up now.
0: No, Matt, no, Matt. Finish no, I don't, mind.
2: I don't, no, I'm just, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought now. Uh, no, God cannot just like step into the world to do that because God is, um, we've got the wrong concept of God when we think that. Yeah. So, I mean, God is just being this as such. God is just consciousness and we all <laughs> are a part of that consciousness, but it's, it's our job to do this. Yeah. Things.
1: Yeah. I, my understanding and Keith, I think the question is, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Can you have a conversation as if you're talking to somebody, another person, you know, like where you have a relationship, I think is what you're asking. And I, I would say, yeah, absolutely. Because we are I do, and I go back. What Matt said: there is not more than one consciousness. There is just consciousness. There's just beingness itself. I, I don't. I think it it's an illusion what we're living here. So, how many people are in the world? Well, there's just one. You know, uh just like when Richard Rohr says, "Christ, another name for everything." Like not just people, but everything. So, this uh, the the universe is a. It is a. It is a matrix of sorts it is a illusion it's not actually here in the way it is we are perceiving it this way for a purpose but it's not the way it seems it seems like there's all these people in the world there's not Uh, there's really just one being and we are all expressions of that being um but for for relationship purposes, we have the sense of individuality. So we have individual, So I'm an individual person, you're an individual person. And, but the reality, I tr- believe God consciousness, when we start tapping into divine consciousness, we start to understand, actually, we're not a different person. We're actually the same person. We're just, uh, we're just expressing ourselves in, in uh, unique angles through our own space time bodies, but it's, we're the same person, but it's really the same thing with God. My understanding of God is like, you can have a conversation with God. There is a divine mind. And I don't say that. I think we operate as human beings from a limited perspective. I don't think it, for me to say that, I don't say that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this omniscient. I know that everything that God knows that when I say God, I mean the, the source. I don't have all of that understanding in this Finite temporal place right here, but we do have access to that. By the way, though. we do, and I think that's where we start getting into prayer. What is prayer? To me, prayer is when we have access to the divine imagination, and then we begin to uh, we begin to take hold of that into our own body, feel it, imagine it, and then that's when and then prayer that comes from that place is very effective. Most prayer doesn't come from that place, in my opinion. Most prayer, and this is probably a whole different episode. Most prayer comes from the place of fear trying, asking God to fix a problem, we're afraid, something, and that's just not, uh, that's a very, that's not, that's not going to be effective because that's not the divine imagination. So, um, but again, coming back to this whole thing, suffering, um, all of these things that exist, I just think that, you know, there's intentionality, you know, again, if you look at an acorn, if you look at a sperm and an egg, you know, there's an intention for those things. That intention is that that sperm and egg will unite, form cells, become a body, there's an intention behind an acorn that the acorn gets planted. It becomes an oak tree. Like nobody had to like teach the or- acorn this. No one had to teach that. There was a divine intention or orchestrating that when it comes to healing, go back to our topic. What is there a divine intention for healing? I believe the answer is yes. I think healing is the divine intention for everybody and everything. Um, just because our bodies naturally heal. Like you get a cut, it heals itself. There's an intention behind it. Now there are things that get in the way of that that I think the divine mind is to bring healing to this, to, to remove the obstacles so that healing can be what takes place. And a lot of times it gets in the way of that is perception. And I'll, just one story, and I'll, I'll be done here, but one story that illustrates it so perfectly is like, because I'm a life coach and I work with people. I had a client comes to me. She you know, had come to me for a long time and very religious background. And um, she was angry. She was, first of all, very sick had lots of health issues and they were like mysterious. Doctors could not, she has been to doctor after doctor after doctor. I mean, she had devastating things going on and nobody had a response for her. And uh, she was angry at God. She was like, I've prayed. I, my, my faith is my bedrock. I've prayed. I've asked God for healing and God will not heal me. And I don't understand. And I did nothing but give my life to God and serve God. And I'm just, you know, and she would say these things. And then she would talk about, but I can't wait for my new body in heaven, and I know that this is not my home here, and I can't wait till you know till God rescues me from this life of suffering. And I know I'm supposed to learn something here. All these things, and I would literally be astounded sometimes just in my own mind because I would say, "Wow, this she's mad at God because God won't answer her prayer, but I actually believe God is actually answering her prayer." But she was waiting for God to miraculously heal her like just out of the sky somewhere, just just take away the the, the disease, take away this thing and in my my understanding of it was her disease, her sickness, all the stuff that was coming is because of her mindset, her perceptions of the world, her perceptions of God, her perceptions of herself was poisoning her, and she Literally, I remember one day uh, we, we were doing some work on this thought process. And she, this woman had mouth pain, tremendous pain in her mouth for like 15 years. She did, she's literally riddled with taking painkillers to like get rid of this pain. And we were doing this work on is to self-perception. We had this shift. We had this breakthrough. And she didn't even connect it. Next week, I talked to her. She goes, wow, I had a really great week. First time in 15 years, I had no mouth pain. And uh, I was like, well, "Whoa, whoa, stop!" And then she just went on and on. And she just then skipped over that and went on to her problems. And started talking about her problems again. I was like, "Stop!" I was like, "Wait, did you just say for the first time in fifteen years you had no mouth pain? Are you kidding me?" She's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Is that not a big deal to you?" <laughs> just like went on back to back to her misery. And I'm like, "No, nah, it's a big deal." I was like, "Why do you think it happened?" Well, I don't know. I mean, you know. And, and she didn't. And, and I was like, "Wait, could this have something to do with your shift in thinking?" And it was like news to her. She didn't even consider that. And I'm like, it, it was just, a, and, and again, this was, this is a challenge. So I, my challenge is to go, you did this. Now, did God answer her prayer for healing? I believe so. But <laughs> it it comes through a shift in perception um, because the healing, the power of, of the intention to heal her body was already in her body. There were just something getting in the way of it. And, to, and my, my understanding is false beliefs that were getting in the way of her moving into life. So that's, that's just a perception. I think people get hung up on this thing of a lot of like, why doesn't God heal? I actually believe God, like the intention is already there. Healing is normal. Um, it's, it's what gets in the way of it. it all, a lot of times there's a conversation that needs to happen. So whenever I get something happens to me, if I get sick, again, this is not the whole charismatic, what am I doing wrong? God's mad at me. I think it's the wrong question to ask. Is I always look back and go, okay, what, what do I need in this moment? What do you, what's trying to be communicated to me in this moment? And I sit back and a lot of times it's things that, it's rest it's there's something that I need to, to take
0: it acknowledgement right. but I mean we also have to say there are some factors that are out of our control so in other words there could be some things that are in my control like you're saying my attitude my my thought processes you know what I, right. my lack of forgiveness my anxiety my fears things I'm holding on to bitterness and anger I agree all those things can be within my control and if I if I change something uh, adjust something then then something can flow in my life but um for a lot of people there 's things going on that are that are maybe um getting in the way, but they 're not things we can control uh there's there 's viruses there 's bacteria there 's biology there's um just physical things going on that we have no control or it may be other people that we have right. no control over and sure. um, and then yeah, and just real quick uh, to get back to i guess when I think about suffering um I was thinking okay what what are the things that cause? suffering in the world. I mean, this is just a real quick list. So these are the things that in my mind are the causes of suffering in the world. Greed, anger, violence, war, poverty, famine, disease, tribalism, things like that. And if I if I look at that list of things, and I think legitimately these are the major causes of suffering in the world uh, today. Um, Those are things that quite frankly we we maybe not me individually, but we as a people, We do have control over a lot of those things. Uh, In other words, so uh, we could make a decision as a a people, as a culture, as a society, that we are tired of war, we're tired of poverty, we're tired of violence, we're tired of uh, tribalism and these kinds of things, and we could do something about it. In other words, rather than saying, why doesn't God fix this? We could say, well, what is causing this suffering in this particular case and maybe, in this particular case, this is something that we, as a culture and as a society, we could change it, and maybe what we need to do is be to begin working towards um, helping get more people on the side of hey, let's end this, let's stop this, let's change this uh sure. and those are the things that give me hope for the future that you know well, I would love to, to reach a point that you know people do uh, decide that they're they're tired of those things and they're ready to it, well, that's that's the root
1: of suffering. Yes. That, uh, pain. I always tell people, pain is inevitable. I mean, you're going. To, people are always. We're going to experience because life's about change. Things, you know, pain is going to happen. But suffering, to me, is is not inevitable. I honestly believe that God has come to God's work in the world. Okay, there's a, there's a scripture in might trigger some people It says for this for this reason the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, okay, I don't want to get into the whole conversation about what the devil is, but we can agree that the whole point is accusation, lies, basically, is what what we mean by the Satan. So this whole whole idea is, you know, this this concept of suffering, like we literally can it it is all the things that people are crying out asking God to alleviate wars, famine. Hunger, all these things, these are yeah. totally fixable by human, by human yeah. behavior, by human choice. But again, that's not going to happen as a society unless because what is a society is a collection of individual people that have consciousness. So unless there's an elevation in, confidence, so the lowest form of consciousness is victim consciousness, which is the belief that there ain't shit I can do. That's that's victim consciousness, and that's the lowest form. And I honestly believe that you don't really get out of that until you have an elevation of consciousness um, and understand that we are not victims. Like we actually have power and ability. Uh, And this is to me, the work of Jesus. Everything I see Jesus do is to elevate our consciousness. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. This is who we are. Like, like we are literally the, the image and likeness of the divine in this space and time. There is no other God out out there. (laughs) And I think once we start to realize this, we start to realize, wow, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Romans eight, the creation is crying out for not, not a Messiah, one man, but for the children of the divine, which is all of us. This is what is needed. So where it's not is like, where are we? Yeah. Same place.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that Roman eight Romans eight, like the whole of creation cries out. Right. And that's, That's maybe a part of why suffering is also part of why I'm a universalist, just to be honest, like God, God's always in the business of healing. And and I obviously not everyone in this world is healed all the time. Um, People die, people die tragically. Um, But I think in the end, God, God is in the business of healing and God will get God's way. (laughs) So that, that helps me with it. Um, But uh, this has been a really, really fun episode guys. And, and I don't know about uh, about you, but I'm not quite confident that we completely um, solved the suffering problem. No, nope. but, but we would like to invite people to join us on our Facebook group if you have insights into this, because the conversation we can have over there can only extend this and no one's going to solve this problem uh, in one episode. So that's what our Facebook group is for. And we encourage listeners to come over uh, to the Facebook group, which is associated with the podcast. <laughs> uh, just just search Heretic Happy Hour in the uh, in the search bar there, and, and and join us. And we also have a website, heretichappyhour.com. dot uh, That's kind of our landing page for all things Heretic Happy Hour. And just a real quick shout out to our Patreon supporters that help keep the show going. Mm. Uh, we had a couple, a couple people sign up, so big shout out to them: Francis Chester, Patty, Beverly. And Mark Bayeg or Bayeg, I'm sorry if I'm uh, fucking your name up, so apologies. But thank you so much uh, to our Patreon supporters. If you want to sign up, go to patreon.com slash Happy Hour.
0: Yeah, and uh, real quick, I wanted to let you guys know, um, I'm going to be doing these events called United We Stand events around the country. I'm doing one in a couple of weeks here coming up May 19th in El Paso, Texas. And also I'm doing one next month at Sarah Heath's Church in Costa Mesa on June 22nd. And if you would like to book one of these events in your church or hometown, or you want to just find out more about it, you can go to a little landing page we set up for this. It's called faithandpolitics.us. And um, yeah, I'd love to see you guys. That's out awesome. On the road.
1: That's awesome. Um, and also, one last thing: rate us on iTunes, guys. Uh, that makes it, it goes a long way. If you rate us, write a review there. There's some cool, funny reviews there. There's, but give us uh, five stars if you like us. If you don't like us, then don't rate us. But if you do like us and you haven't been to iTunes,
2: or give, please, us give us one. <laughs> yeah,
1: <that's true. laughs> yeah. Just go to go to iTunes and rate us and review us. It means a lot. thanks